am excited to talk to you about Vision Sunday. Now, every single year at Life Church, our leaders take some time at the end of every year to pray about what the vision for our church will be for the following year. Uh, when I say vision, I really mean that God is giving us like a fresh focus for the year. That vision or focus comes in the form of a word or a phrase that carries some kind of specific meaning. And then that vision or word or phrase or focus really gives us a framework for what we end up preaching about for the rest of the following year. Uh, and, and the way we do ministries and the way that our church culture kind of leans in a direction as God would lead us for an entire year. And then at the beginning of every year, after we've heard the Lord uh, tell us what our vision is going to be for the following year, at the beginning of every year, we take a Sunday, that's today, and we call that Sunday Vision Sunday, and we share the vision with the church, not just so that you can say, yay, we have a cool new vision, but so that you can know how to partner with what we believe God is inviting us into for the coming year. So today is Vision Sunday, and so I want to tell you today, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, about our vision for the year. Now, you may have seen some people wearing some matching shirts today, so if you're, if you're observant, then you may have already kind of figured out what the vision for 2020, what the phrase is uh, for 2022, uh, what, what it might be. Also, it's probably, oh, look at that. Wouldn't you know it? We just put it on a screen, too. So it's all over the place. The vision phrase for 2022 is speak life. Now, if you've been around Life Church for a while, it might be surprising to you that we've gone this far in the history of our church and, and the phrase speak life has never actually been the vision phrase uh, for an entire year for us because we talk about speak life all the time. In fact, when we call ourselves the people of Life Church, one of the things that we're committed to is pe being people who speak life. As we, this is one of the ways that we execute our vision. The reason that we exist as a church is to speak life to, to our neighbors and to the world around us. But today, I want to tell you that we are launching into an entire year where we are going to learn what it looks like for us to be a church who is committed and who understands what it means to speak life. Now, this word, speak life, this vision is rooted in part in a prophetic word that God gave us way back in 1979. Now, I say way back. That was before I was alive. That was before a lot of us were alive. And some of you in the room are thinking, way back? I was very much alive in 1979. And God bless you for that. Thank you for sharing your presence and your wisdom with us. Uh, but back in, way back in 1979, God gave a word to this church that this church would be a house of healing. Now, when we say a house of healing, what God was intending in that word was that we would be a people who, who minister healing and receive healing holistically in our, in our physical bodies, in our hearts, our souls, our spirits, in our relationships with God and with other people. In fact, I, I'm not going to take much more time, I'm not going to take any more time talking about that because I actually preached an entire message on that in our Remember series back in November uh, just last year, just a couple of months ago. So if you wanted to hear more about that word, speak life, or rather that we are a house of healing and how that might connect to our vision called speak life, you can go listen to that sermon from back in November. But speak life is also rooted in this scripture. And I had you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. Uh, it is rooted in a scripture that I love 
to talk about here at Life Church. And one of my ambitions at Life Church as your pastor is to have you memorize this verse. This is one of my, my desires as a pastor in general, uh, and, and specifically this year, to have you memorize Proverbs 18, verse 21. Now, I'm going to read this to you in the Christian Standard Bible translation for you today, and this is going to be the translation that I will quote most often when we talk about Proverbs 18.21. And my goal is that when you hear that phrase, Proverbs 18.21, that verse reference, or when you hear the phrase, speak life, you automatically think of these words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, you notice I didn't read that from my Bible or off of the screen because I've got it memorized, and my goal is that you would also just know this verse because I think that this verse and this vision called Speak Life uh, that we're focusing on for this year has such huge ramifications for your life as a Christian, no matter how young or how old you are, that this is why we are spending an entire year talking about what it means to speak life. Because this is so vitally important for us. So this verse is about the power of our words. Our words have power to shape our lives, and our, our words have power for us to partner with God in ministry. So this is our desire in 2022, to build a church that speaks life, to build a church that partners with God in speaking life to others and also enjoys the fruit that's promised in Proverbs 18.21, that we would enjoy the fruit of life. Because that verse again says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, love what? Who love the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And so our goal is to be people who eat the fruit of life and not the fruit of death. How do we do that? We commit to being people who speak life. So today as we set the tone for this year of speaking life and learning what it means, I want to focus on the power of our words and I want to specifically do that uh, by talking about three important things. And the first thing that I want to talk to you about today as we think about the power of our words is this. Number one, words reveal the condition of your heart. Jesus hit the nail on the head uh, when he said this in Matthew 12, records it like this. Jesus says, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. So Jesus paints the picture that your heart is a storeroom. It's like a closet. And inside your heart is either good or evil. Notice that Jesus doesn't say good and evil. It's one or the other. That's interesting. In your heart is a storeroom of either good or evil. And Jesus says, whatever's in your heart, that's what's coming out of your mouth. Now, I find it also interesting that Jesus said this to the, to the pastors of the day, to the religious leaders of his era. These were people, we call them the Pharisees, these were people who were super passionate about always having the right words to say, and always having the right words to say that made them look good. And they thought, if I can say the right thing, then I will be the right kind of person. And Jesus is telling uh, these people who prided themselves on saying the right thing, hey, your heart is not in the right place. So you can say all of the right stuff all you want, and yet 
It's not actually the right thing to say. In other words, Jesus is saying to them and to us that just saying what sounds good is not good enough. So we've got a problem as people. And Jesus is pointing out that we have a problem. Because apparently, you can speak words that sound like life and still actually be speaking death. Have you ever been lied to? Have you ever had someone say something to you? (laughs) Don't look at the person if they're in the room. But have you ever had someone say to you something like, I love you, but their actions actually communicated something other than what their words were saying? Right? Have you, have, you, have you ever told your teacher you would do the homework, but your actions communicated that you didn't actually mean it when you said you would do the homework? No? It was just me as a student all the time? Yeah. I had to grow out of that one. So James actually, in the book of James chapter 3, he, just, he actually doubles down. He digs down deeper into this idea that our words can be very problematic. In James chapter 3, he writes this, Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Right? Your tongue is just one little part of your body. But it says these wild things. It says, James writes, Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Now, we live in Southern California, so you can really relate to this, right? We have these big forest fires in Southern California, and every year we find out that they were started by just a little spark, by just a little tiny flame sets an entire forest on fire. And James says this, the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body and sets the course of life on fire, and it, sets its, and it is itself set on fire by hell. That's not super encouraging. What James is saying is that your little tiny tongue has the ability to set your whole life on fire. You ever seen somebody set their whole life on fire with what they said? (laughs) Right? you, You ever hear the phrase, this person just keeps getting in their own way because they just keep opening their mouth? If you would just be quiet, you'd be fine. But you just keep talking and getting in your own way. This is what James is talking about. And then, and then he, he says this next part. He says, every kind of animal, the birds, the reptiles, and all the fish, they're all tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Thanks, James. Telling us that there's no hope. No one can tame their tongue. We're, we're out of luck. James says that the tongue can set your whole life on fire. And trying to get it under control, it's just a waste of time. It's completely pointless, which sounds discouraging. But I would argue with you that it actually is really helpful because James actually sneaks the answer into the way he describes the problem. See, James says this, the tongue is set on fire by hell. So what he's saying is that the tongue isn't the source of the problem. That the tongue has a source, it's hell. And so the real problem doesn't come from your words. The real problem comes from what inspires your words. What's the state of your heart? Which is what Jesus points to. Remember, he says the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. 
So here's what we learn. Broken words reveal a broken heart. So the solution is not word management. Make sure you always say the right thing. The solution needs to be something deeper. The solution to becoming a person who speaks life instead of death has to do with our hearts. And so, so knowing that is really, really important. Knowing that the problem isn't just our words, that it's something deeper, it's our heart, is really, really important. But we also need to know this, and this is the second point for today, is that words, not only do they reveal the condition of our heart, but words change the condition of our heart. Because remember, words have power, right? Now, our key verse for this entire year is Proverbs 18.21, which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The verse right above that, Proverbs 18, verse 20, says this, From the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. Now, follow me here for a second. Think about that. A person's mouth is satisfied by what they say. That's what he's saying. Now, think about this again in light of what Jesus says. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And then in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let me tie all of this together for you in something that I would call the, the circle of life or death. Now, I don't mean the circle of life in the Lion King sense. I, I mean the circle of life or death in, in the sense that you will either produce the circle of life in you or the circle of death in you. And, and this is exactly what all of these scriptures are telling us. The, the circle of death looks like this. What is in your heart is death. So that's what you say. That, that's what these scriptures are teaching us. And then, because what you say validates what you already think, you go, oh yeah, that sounds like something I agree with. So you agree with it, and that gets more in your own heart. How do we know that? Because the fruit of a person's mouth uh, because from the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. In other words, you get filled by what you say. So the more you speak death, the more you are filled with death. I've shared this story before, and I'll, and I'll share it again now. For me, this looked like this. When I was a kid, when I was, when I was in elementary school, I had a really rocky relationship with my dad, and, and now, praise God, it's a much better relationship. And so I'm thankful for all of the good things that have come out of that relationship now. But then, when I was younger, my relationship with my dad was really terrible. And one of the things that happened in my relationship with my dad was that he made me feel, whether he meant to or not, with his words, with what he said to me, that I was not a smart person, that I was dumb. And so what ended up happening is at some point that got into my heart because the words of my dad are really, really powerful in my life. And so that got into my heart, and at some point that's what came out of my mouth because I, it was in me, and so it came out. I'm not a smart person. And so what do you think happened when I went to school? I didn't even try. Why didn't I try? Because I was convinced that I wasn't smart. And what do, what do dumb people do? 
Well, they don't try at school because they don't understand anything. They don't do their homework because what's the point of that? I'm not smart enough to get it. I'm not even going to put any effort into it. And I would say that. Well, why are you getting bad grades, Tim? Well, obviously, it's obvious why I'm getting bad grades because I'm a dumb person. I'm not smart. And then the more I would say that, the more I would eat the fruit of the circle of death in my life. Because the more I would say it, the more that would become the reality of my life, and my grades would reflect that, and my, my brain, my thinking ability would reflect that, and the more that would get into me and just confirm, yep, Tim's not a smart person, and then that just would create this circle to where uh, by the time I was in high school, I was getting bad grades in everything, just squeaking by the skin of my teeth in every single class, to the point where, and I was actually just talking to Jan Spencer, the pastor who was the pastor here before me. Uh, I was just talking to him about this recently. My freshman year in high school, do you know that he was my algebra one teacher and he gave me a D in his algebra class? And I just asked him this the other day to, to confirm if this was true. And he said, yes, that is the actual reality. Is that the only reason he gave me a D in that class because my mom was a member of this church. I don't know if that makes him a bad teacher or a good pastor or both. I don't, I don't know. But I can tell you that I only passed Algebra 1 my freshman year because of the grace of one Jan Spencer. And praise God for that. Uh, but that was the circle of death in my life. And, and you know, it was much deeper than my grades. It had a lot to do with my self-esteem and the way I would think about myself as a person and what I could do and what I could become. I felt like I had a call on my life to go into ministry and to teach people the word. But how could I teach people the word if I'm not a smart person? I had to figure out how to overcome that. And it wasn't until I had somebody teach this principle to me that I was able to break the circle of death in my life and realize that I had to get into the circle of life so that what was in me could change. And so the circle of life sounds like you learn what life sounds like. And we'll talk about this again in, in a moment, but what life sounds like is whatever God says about you. You cannot afford to believe something about yourself that God does not agree with. And so I had to learn what God would say about me. And what God would say about me, and this was the thing, for me, in that circle of death that I was in, I'm not a smart person, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, and then all of the results of all of that. What I had to learn was not to just lie to myself and say, well, I'm, I'm smart, when I really like look at my algebra grades, right? What I had to learn was something bigger than that. What God says about me is, if you're a son of the Most High God, you've been given the mind of Christ. So I didn't make up some lie and like name it and claim A's in my, in my classes, what I did was I put in the work to convince myself that what God said about me was more true than what anyone else, including me, would say about myself. And so rather than saying, I, I didn't go in the mirror and go, you know, 10 times every single morning, Tim, you're going to get good grades because you're smart enough, you're, you're strong enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And I didn't do any of that. I began to meditate, to, to speak to myself, to declare over my life, not I'm a smart person, but I think the way Jesus thinks. And how many of you think that Jesus would get a good grade in a math class? I mean, probably, right? In a history class, in an English class. How many of you think that God would be a wise person? 
If Jesus was living in, in my shoes, how many of you think he would have the answers to the questions that I have in my very real life? I think, yes, very much. And so the more that I think I've got the mind of Christ, what that did is it got in my heart. And when I wanted to quit because I didn't think I was a smart person, all of a sudden there was this competition going on. Am I going to choose to believe the word of life or am I going to choose to believe the word of death? And I chose, this was my choice, to believe what God had already chosen to say about me that I began to also say it about me too. I think the way Jesus thinks. And Jesus doesn't think I'm stupid. Jesus thinks that I'm good enough. Jesus thinks I've been given the mind of Christ so I can think like he would in the moment. And so over time, and I say over time, what was in my heart began to change. And by my senior year of high school, still didn't have great grades. Still didn't, but I graduated high school. Because by the time I was a senior in high school, I was beginning to learn that I could learn. And then my wife said, if you want to marry me, you will go to college. And I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, def I definitely think. And then she, she talked with Jan Spencer, who was still our senior pastor at the time, and they ganged up on me. And they said, if you want to be a pastor at this church and you want to get married to Sharon, you will go to college. And I said, sign me up. And you know what I found out? I fell in love with learning because my heart had changed. And just a few minutes ago, I asked you to pray for me because I'm going to take the next six weeks to finish a doctorate because I'm smart, because I have the mind of Christ. It's not because I'm any better than anyone else in this room or watching online or anywhere else in the world. It's not because I'm smarter or, or, or more worthy. It's because I have submitted my life to the circle of life. And so what's happening? I'm eating the fruit of life. You know what the fruit of life looks like? Over time, I've changed my life. Now, the trick about this and, and the reason a lot of Christians don't jump in on this is because this has been... Uh, abused and, 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 and robbed from the word of God by every self-help guru in the world who won't tell you that they're actually teaching you scripture and then they'll ask you to buy a book with their name on it and go to a conference with their name on it and, and, and try to practice their tips and their help. And you know why none of that ultimately will change your life in an eternal sense? It's because these people aren't pointing you to Jesus if they're pointing you to themselves as the source of this wisdom. All of the good stuff out there that tells you how you can you know, overcome and all of the steps and all of the programs, all of it is rooted in this principle, that you will eat the fruit of what you say because, what, because your words matter. They have power. So I would encourage you to do what Paul calls renewing your mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this age. In other words, don't think the way everyone else in the world around you, around you thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If you're trapped in the circle of death, transform your mind with the word of God so you can know the will of God. 
And, and by the way, the thing that makes all of this work is, is not magic words. It's a soft heart. The reason the Pharisees never got this was because they had hard hearts. They were proud. They were convinced they had all the right answers. If they could just say the right words, then they would be good. And it didn't work like that. So let's recap. We've all got a problem. Our problem is our words will fill our hearts, but they'll also reveal what is in our heart. And the only way to fix our problem is to allow our words, the words of life, to feed our heart until we're full of life. And then once we're full of life, what's going to come out of our heart and out of our mouth? The words of life. And then that will feed our soul. And then it'll put us onto the circle of life. So our real problem is that we are all actually hungry people. We're all actually hungry, looking for something to fill our lives. And the problem there, that we are hungry, points us to the solution. That there is food for us. And so this would be the third point as we talk about the power of words and what it looks like for us to be people who speak life, is that we have to understand that Jesus is what we are hungry for. Jesus is what we are hungry for. So when we set out to say that we're going to be people who speak life, we're not going to become the vapid name it and claim it church that just says, if you say the right magic words, that Jesus is forced to obey you. We're going to be the people who are so full of God because we're so hungry for him that what will come out of our mouths will naturally be the words of life and that God will keep his word that the more we speak life, the more we will eat the fruit of life. Not in twisting God's arm, but in submitting to his kingdom. The Gospel of John actually is really helpful in explaining this. In John chapter 1, let's just unpack this as we make this claim that Jesus is what we're actually hungry for. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just a keynote there, Jesus is the Word. The Word is a person. It says, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then as you come all the way down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is a person, and that person is Jesus. So Jesus is the living embodiment of the word of God. And during his ministry on earth, John records Jesus doing this one amazing thing. He does it actually several times. Uh, But in John chapter 6, he records a story of Jesus feeding people. He feeds over 5,000 people in one sitting, and he he does it with only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I'm not going to take time to tell you that whole story. You should read it. It's at the beginning of John chapter 6. But in verse 33 of John 6, Jesus tells the people there something really, really important. They come to him and they go, we're hungry again. This is the next day. We're hungry again. We want more of the bread that you gave us. And Jesus said, I've got something better for you. He says this, the bread of God is the the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said, give us this bread every day. And he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will, be, will ever be hungry again. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is making an allusion to his, his body being the bread of life and his blood which is shed being the drink that satisfies us for eternity. 
And all of that being a metaphor for the way that we would put our faith in Jesus as the one who would sustain the real hunger that we actually have. That we are hungry in our soul. And now, you may or may not be thinking this, but it feels a little bit like I've just taken a left turn in a sermon that was talking about the power of words, and now we're talking about Jesus feeding people. And I just want to make sure that we connect all of these dots so you don't think I've like gone down a rabbit hole and started preaching a completely different sermon today. It's actually really simple to, to tie all of this together. It's simple because we are hungry people. Just look at your neighbor real quick and say, I'm hungry. Hungry. Now, maybe you mean that literally, like you are thinking about going to the habit after church today, and that's fine. But we also mean that spiritually. We are all craving something that will fill our hearts. And when I say we, I mean every person you have ever met, every person who has ever lived. We are craving something that would fill our hearts. The world will offer you food that will look good, sound good, and leave you empty. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. As Jesus tells us, the answer to our problem, the way to receive life is to place your faith in Jesus. The way to speak life then is to fill yourself with the word of life. His name is Jesus. He's the word that we call Scripture, the living embodiment of the Word of God. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, friends, listen. Jesus is the bread and the word of life. Jesus is the power of words. Jesus is the fruit that produces life. So the more we fill ourselves with the word of God, the more we will naturally become people who speak life. And then Jesus invites us to commemorate being filled with the life of Jesus in a practice that we call communion. So we place our faith in Jesus. We become students of God's word. We learn to speak God's word over our own life and the lives of others. And then on a regular basis, we do this thing called taking communion. And it's a a ceremony. It's a practice. It's a ritual. It's a tradition that we do together to remember what Jesus has done for us and to come back to him and say, you are the source of my life. And so it's highly appropriate for us as we kick off a year focusing on being people who speak life for us to come to Jesus in a practice that we call communion. During, in Luke chapter 22, uh, we see a moment that during the final really the final meal that Jesus has with his disciples, but it's also the final Passover meal before Jesus gives up his life. Luke records that Jesus says this. Well, he, it says he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, he gives it to them, and he says, this is my body which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. This is the same Jesus who turned the loaves into the multitude of bread for the crowd of over 5,000 people. This Jesus who says, I am the bread of life, he says, take this bread at the Passover meal. He breaks it. He blesses it before God. He gives it to the people, and he says, eat this. This is my body which is given for you. He says, when you eat this bread in this moment, remember, I'm the bread of life. I am what fills you. And then in the same way he took the cup after the supper, because in those days and in that setting, in that moment, they had a full Passover meal together. And he says, after the supper, he takes the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to take communion. We'll come back around to that. But first, before we do that, can I, can I ask you and invite you to think about what speaking life might look or sound like for you this year? You know, normally, uh, or traditionally, in our uh, Vision Sundays, a lot of our Vision Sundays, we have these moments at the end of our Vision Sunday service where we like all sign something together or we get some kind of a token. And it's a little bit hard for us to give you a token this year because God already gave it to you. It's your mouth. And so I want to invite you just to take a moment. Then we're going to come back around together and we're going to take communion. But I want to invite you in this moment to think about your token that you're going to walk out of here with. The way you communicate. The words that you say. Maybe you want to think deeper and you want to think about the status of your heart. I would ask you today to think for a moment. In fact, why don't you close your eyes right where you're sitting. And if you're joining us online, unless you're watching this while you're driving, close your eyes. And just in this moment, with your eyes closed... In, in the awareness that God is here in this place. And that God who is the bread of life. Jesus whose blood was shed for you. This Jesus invites you to become a person who speaks life. And so the question is, where are you at with your mouth? Where are you at with your heart? Have you fully received the life that Jesus would offer you? Have you made a commitment with your mouth to speak the word? Have you made a commitment with your eyes to study his word? Or your ears to hear his word? More than you would hear or study or see or consider anything else. I just want to invite you in a moment, right now, if there's anything that you, right where you're sitting, need to say to Jesus, maybe it's as simple as, Jesus, today I choose to believe you. Or maybe it's, today, Jesus, I'm going to make a commitment to study your word this year, become full of your word. Or, Jesus, I repent of my sin, which is not a word repent, which means I grieve and wallow and feel terrible about myself, but it's a word which means I'm going to walk away from my sin today, and I'm going to walk towards you. 
As you take this next, just one more moment to say anything that Jesus, that you would say to Jesus, I, I want you to hear him say back to you that he loves you, that he welcomes you into his presence. He welcomes you into his word. He's excited to speak to you today and this year and to speak through you today and this year. Now I want to invite you to take communion. And we're going to do this a little bit differently than we normally have traditionally done this here at Life Church. We're actually going to do this in small groups today. So if you're joining us online, whoever you're watching service with today, you can take communion together right where you're at. If you're joining online by yourself, Sharon's going to be there in the chat, and she can chat with you together as well uh, online. And here in this room, how I want to invite you to do this is to take communion together with your family or with a group of people. If it's just you by yourself today or just a couple of you, you're welcome to gather a small group of three or four people together. And let me just give you some instructions. And so there, I, I imagine that in every group there'll be one adult. Um, and, and you can kind of appoint a leader if there's several of you. But I, here's what I want you to do. With your family or your friends who are sitting near you, first take the bread. That's the cracker at the top of your little cup. And someone in your group should pray. And that prayer could just be that we would thank God for the life that Jesus offers us. And then when you're done praying, everyone eat the cracker together and thank Jesus together. And then when you're done eating the cracker in your small group, somebody else or maybe the same person each time can then pray Thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness that we have from our sins. That's what the juice represents. And then when you're done praying, somebody in your group leading in that prayer, thanking Jesus for his blood that was shed, that puts sin as far away from us as could possibly be and, and doesn't count any of that against us. When somebody is done praying, then you drink together the juice. And then when you've done those two things, you've prayed and eaten the bread and prayed and drink the juice, then I want you to pray again as a group. And just say thank you to Jesus for the life that he's given you. Maybe you can take another moment and pray blessings over each person in the group. And just take a few moments to do this together as a family. Because communion isn't something that is only led from a stage. Communion is something that is led by Jesus as we respond to him and receive his life in our lives. So if you need to move around the room or whatever you need to do, kind of circle up. Uh, I don't even care if you disjoint the chairs and move those around a little bit. And just take a few minutes and do communion together in a small group together. And by the way, if you're here and you're like, I've got a ton of questions right now, that's perfect. Ask the questions in the safety of the small group so you don't feel like you had to ask it in front of the whole church today. And then there we go. We can just take a few minutes together today as friends and family and lead one another to the table of communion. You're already doing it. You're doing such a good job. Take the time that you need. God bless you. I'll call you back to wrap up our service as we are concluding our time of communion. God bless you as you take communion together today.
going to give just another moment. I think one or two groups are just wrapping up. Then we'll come together and we'll pray together. You guys are doing such a good job. you that that practice is something that you can do as often as you want at home or with your friends. Uh, the Lord never said to us, when you take communion once a month, he said, as often as you do this, remember me. And so as many times as you want, you can make this a weekly practice in your home with your family to come to the Lord's table, to come back to the bread of life together as a family, to be filled with life as a family and to become a family of people who Speak life because you're full of life. And so as we wrap up our Vision Sunday and we kick off a year where uh, we will take with us our hearts and our mouths everywhere we go to be people who are full of life and who speak life everywhere we go, we're going to spend a whole year learning what that looks like and feels like, and we're going to become people who speak life and hold each other accountable to speaking life. Uh, I welcome you at Life Church if you hear somebody speaking death, that you very lovingly, please, encourage them to become a person who speaks life. You say, no, we don't talk like that here. We speak life. No slapping, no rebuking, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but but hold it, let's hold each other accountable to a year and to a lifestyle and a lifetime of being people who speak life. Can I pray a blessing over you as we as we end the beginning of a year, if that sentence made sense? All right. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that we have life because he gave his life. And we are alive because he is alive. Jesus, we thank you for your work. We bless you, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to lead us into being a people who speak life. And so I pray this blessing over Life Church. May you know God and be fully satisfied by him. May your heart be full and overflowing with life. May your mouth speak from the overflow of your heart. May your words be a blessing of life to yourself and to everyone who hears you speak. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the love and the life that you offer us. Help us to be a church that speaks life. Amen.